Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to take a little break from our study in Colossians. We're going to look at several verses in Hebrews 11, um, the first three, and then we'll jump down to verse 6, and then 8 through 12, and then 17 through 19. So, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Jump down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also also received him in a figurative sense. And Lord, as we uh, look at your word, God, I I just pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really good at starting things. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm an expert at starting stuff. Books, I've got a stack of books on my desk that I've started that I have not completed. Projects. Not so much around the house, because I hate projects around the house, because I don't know how to do any of them. But just, you know, projects, I get them going, and, oh, this seems like a good idea, and then, you know, it just kind of fades out. Diets, as you can see, I've actually never completed a diet. (laughs) Exercise plans, you know, that start in January. Okay, we're going to buy this piece of equipment, you know, and three or four days later, it's in the garage collecting dust. Budgets. Remember, you know, it was, and, and a lot of people still do this, and we kind of tried it for a while where all your money goes in, in, in envelopes, you know, and so you got your bill money here, and you've got your, you know, fun money here, and, you know, and that didn't last very long. That just didn't, didn't work. Does anybody do that? The, the envelopes? Okay, good. Praise God bless you. You, you are. Food, I, I, you know, you ever ordered something at a restaurant, started it, just like, nope, no thanks. I do that a lot. I'm kind of picky that way. I start food. I don't like it if there's weird stuff in it or chewy things or 
just, you know, it's like, no, nope, sorry. And flakiness in some of these trivial things is okay. I mean, you can get away with, you know, starting a budget and not finishing it or starting a book. And it, some of these things, it's tolerable. But faith, at its very essence, demands continuation. It's not a one-time experience where you say, you know what, I'll try that out like a new dish on the menu. I'll give it a try. If I don't like it, what's the worst thing that can happen? It, it isn't that way. Faith, at its very core, demands continuation. We place our faith in Jesus, and it's ongoing. It's daily. We don't place our faith in Jesus and then discard it later like some worthless infomercial gadget. Paul, quoting Habakkuk in the book of Romans, said, The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Not the just shall use faith when it's convenient. Not the just shall have faith in faith. Not the just shall occasionally exercise faith. But the just shall live by faith. Paul put it like this in Colossians, as we're studying that. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 6. He says, as you... <laughs> verse 6. As, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walk in Him. As you received Him, so walk in Him. Don't start laughing. It'll make me laugh, and then this whole thing will be over. How did we receive Christ? He says, as you received Christ, so walk in Him. So the same way that you received Him is the way that you're called to walk. How did you receive Him? By grace, through faith, right? That's how we receive Christ. That's how Diana received Christ. That's how I received Christ. That's how you receive Christ. If you're here this morning, you never have. That's what you need to do. You need to receive His grace through faith. And so we continue to walk in that. As you received Him by grace through faith, so you walk that way daily by grace through faith. We continue to walk. And the key, you guys to accomplishing this is not by trying really hard. So we think, okay, the life of faith. I'm going to try really hard. I want to live by faith. It's not by trying really hard. It comes by understanding that Jesus is not only the author, but the finisher of our faith. As you see there in chapter 12 of Hebrews. He's the author and he's the finisher. He started your faith. He gave you the ability to have faith. And he finishes your faith. He initiated and he'll complete it. And so the question I want to ask you guys this morning is what does it mean to live by faith? If Paul says the just shall live by faith, if we're supposed to continue 
in our walk with Jesus the way that we received him, which is by faith, what does it mean to live by faith? I think we've got this kind of messed up in our mind because we say things like, well, I'm just going to step out in faith. How many of you have ever said that? I know I have many times. We're going to step out in faith, and so it's like this blind leap, you know. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I'm just taking a a step off of the cliff into the darkness. And is that really what faith is? Every time that the Bible talks about faith, it's always attached to the revelation of God. In other words, God reveals himself and he says, I want you to trust me. God gives you a word, God gives somebody a promise, scripturally, and he says, I want you to trust that. God doesn't just say, hey, I want you to start taking a blind walk in the dark, and wherever you end up is okay, and we'll call that faith. No, God says, I'm going to give you a promise, I'm going to give you my word, and I want you to put your faith in it. So it isn't this, you know, kind of thing. It's putting your trust in the the revelation of God, in the revealed word of God. That's faith, you guys. And so I think we've got to start understanding that and maybe even changing our vocabulary a little bit and and not saying that we're going to launch out in faith for this building program. I don't know that that's necessarily faith. Because God hasn't given us his revelation to say that he's going to provide for that. He may, he may not. And so what we would say is, Lord, we're just going to trust you. But we need to to start to understand that that faith isn't just, I'm going to launch out into this thing that I have no idea how it's going to end up. That isn't faith. Faith is trusting in the revealed word of God. That's what it means to live by faith. Not taking blind leaps in the dark. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the author gives us some keys to understanding and to answering this question, what does it mean to live by faith? First, we find a description of faith in verses 1 through 3. Faith is the substance or the realization of things hoped for. Does that sound like a blind leap in the dark? That faith is the substance, the evidence, the substantiation of things hoped for? The evidence... Or the confidence of things not seen. And so God gives you a promise. God gives his word to you. But we don't see it. But he's given us his word as we're going to see with Abraham. In verse 6 he tells us that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And so apart from trusting in the revelation of God. It is impossible to please him. And I think we all want to please God. I don't think anybody ever says, I don't want to please God. 
And the way that we please God is that we exercise faith. That we trust His revealed Word to us. I think a great way to remember faith is is in an acrostic. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Forsaking all. Forsaking the promises and the fleeting word of men and of people. And I trust Him. Forsaking my preconceived ideas about this situation, I trust Him. See? Forsaking all others, I trust Him. We're also given several examples of faith. The writer here tells us what faith is, and then he gives us some examples of people in the Bible that were people of faith. From which we read about the life of Abraham in our text this morning. And Abraham is an example of one who was exemplary in his faith. A man who Paul calls the father of all those who believe, Romans 4.11. The father of all those who believe. Now, was Abraham perfect in his faith? Absolutely not. You remember the two times in Egypt that Abraham lied about Sarah and said that she was his sister instead of his wife? Because he was afraid what might happen to him when they're like, wow, this, this chick's hot. If he says, this is my wife, they'll just get rid of the expendable piece of the puzzle here and take my wife. So I'll just say she's my sister, you know, they can kind of do whatever they want with her. We'll get our food and we'll go home. Are you okay with that, Sarah? He was not a man of perfect faith. In fact, we read about Isaac here as his only begotten son. Is that God being generous with Abraham and gracing him out? Or is it actually true that Abraham only had one son? Well, we know Abraham didn't only have one son. He had a son before Isaac that was with his handmaiden, his wife's servant, Hagar, because they got together and they said, Look, we're getting old. There's no way that we're going to find God's promise coming to pass in our life that we're going to be the father of many nations. This is not going to happen. We don't even have one kid. So let's take things into our own hands and we'll, we'll get you and Hagar together. And I'm sure Abraham wasn't arguing about that. But it was launching out in the flesh. And did it work out real well? That was a big problem, and it actually continues to be a problem today. And so Abraham was a man who was exemplary in his faith, but he was also a man who struggled like you and I do. And in our text, we find three characteristics from Abraham's life that can help us to rightly define what it means to live by faith. To answer that question, 
What does it mean to live by faith? Abraham answers that for us. We see three things, three characteristics. First of all, the life of faith is obedient. God gives you a promise, God gives you his word, and then he expects you to do what? To obey it. The life of faith is patient. God gives you a promise. God gives you his word. But does it always happen like that? (laughs) If you've been walking with the Lord for more than a couple days, you know that isn't true. The life of faith is sacrificial. The life of faith is sacrificial in that sometimes God gives you his word, he gives you a promise, and then he expects you to make sacrifices to see that come to pass. So it isn't just all peaches and cream all the time. It isn't always easy to live by faith. So we'll talk about these. We'll unpack this a little bit. First of all, the life of faith is obedient. We see that in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance And he went out not knowing where he was going. A couple things. We know this story from Genesis chapter 12. God came to Abraham and he said, Look, you're living like a pagan. You're you're not honoring me. And I'm, I'm calling you out of this. I'm I'm pulling you out of your family. And I want to place you in the land of promise. This was the the beginnings of the Jewish nation. It's interesting because Jews pride themselves on their history and their godly characters. And the men and the women that went before them. But it all started with one pagan. Pagan. With one man whose life was completely opposed to God. And God pulled him out of that and said, I'm choosing you to be the father of the Hebrew nation. It's an amazing story. Now we know from history that Ur of the Chaldees, Mesopotamia, was a land of affluence. The place that God called Abraham out of was a land of much wealth. In fact... They, they may have even had some technology, history tells us, that, that would startle and surprise us at this time. Abraham was living the life of luxury. And God said, I want you to leave that, leave your family, and I want you to go live out in the desert of Canaan. We've got to put ourselves in the shoes of these people sometimes. Because we read the story about Abraham. Oh, okay, he left his family and he moved to, to Israel, man. I've seen Israel. It looks pretty cool. No, it was, a, it was a barren wasteland. It was a desert. There's nothing there at that time. I want you to leave your wealth, your family, all of your connections. And I want you to live out in the middle of nowhere in a tent. Guys, try springing that one on your wife tonight. See how it goes over, right? 
So Abraham received the word and he obeyed. He obeyed the voice of God. In fact, the the language here indicates that Abraham, while he was being called, obeyed. So he didn't process this. He didn't, you know, get a group of his friends together and ask them what they thought about it. As soon as he heard the word of God, he obeyed. Is that how you and I obey? I want to, but often I don't. Often, I obey when it's convenient for me or in my time. But the text indicates here that as soon as he heard the word of God, he obeyed. It also says knowing, not knowing, I should say, where he was going. This word knowing here means to put your attention upon. It's a little bit different than than the common word that we find in the New Testament, know, which, which basically means to, to have a, uh, the knowledge of God by experience. But here this, this word knowing means to place your attention, your focus upon. And so what does that tell us? That Abraham went out not even concerned with, not focusing on where he was going. Now, that doesn't mean he took a blind leap in the dark because he was given the word of God. God spoke to him and said, this is what I want you to do. And we have the revealed word of God here. But it's not very often that God says to you, you know, hey, I want you to go do this. And so we have to be careful of trying to, you know, put that kind of an experience into Abraham's experience here. Now, if God says that to you, if you get that kind of audible revelation from God, then you better do what he says. But typically, God, at least in my life, speaks to me through the word. And we're always wanting more revelation. It's kind of like I think the Lord says, look, just start doing what I already asked you to. Let's keep it simple. He wasn't concerned where he was going. He wasn't asking questions. Hey, um, you know, can I get a Google map? You know, do you have any, is there a chamber of commerce there that can send me a relocation pack? <laughs> you know? He just obeyed. He obeyed the voice and the word and the revelation of God. And that's what God asks us to do. Just to obey. Remember the story of Saul? He was all proud of himself because... Even though he didn't obey God, he was going to use some of the, the spoil from war that God told him to not take. He was going to use it to give to the church. I, I'm putting it into our terms. He was going to give it to the church. He was going to sacrifice it for the Lord. And what did Samuel say to Saul? Hey, God delights in our obedience more than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience is important. And obedience is at the heart of faith. To live by faith, you guys, means to obey. Means to obey the word of God. Well, a second thing is that the life of faith is patient. It says that by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. So he left Ur of the Chaldees. 
he left all of his family behind and he moved out to the desert and he dwelt there. It means he made his home there. He was content there. Sometimes I think we obey God and then we begin to get real restless in that place of obedience. And we don't make our home there. We kind of vacillate. And so it's back to Ur, back to, you know. No, he dwelt there in the land of promise. It also says in verse 10 that he waited. He waited. And so God had given him a promise, but it wasn't like it was unfolding right in front of his eyes. He was waiting for these things. In fact, it tells us that Isaac and Jacob, his son and his grandson, were living in tents as well. And so, decades, over a century goes by, and they're living in tents. They haven't built cities. They haven't established anything yet. Because they were waiting not for God's word to be fulfilled on this earth primarily, but what were they waiting for? A city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. They were waiting for heaven. And so his focus was not upon Canaan. His focus was not upon building big cities and having a nice life. Even though it would have been very easy for him to do that, considering where he left, right? Could have said, I want to build Ur of the Chaldees here in Canaan. We're going to make it sweet. I'm going to get all my family to move here. But that's not what he did. He just said, Lord, I'm here. I'm trusting you. I don't know how in the world this is going to come to pass. But I'm just going to patiently wait on you. And I'm going to dwell here. And my son's going to dwell here. And his son are going to, is going to dwell here. And we're not going to be looking for fulfillment in this life. We're going to patiently wait for you. What are, what are you guys focused upon? What are you focused upon in this life? Are you upset at the Lord because He hasn't given you everything that you wanted, everything that you expected? Maybe the promises of God just don't seem to be lining up the way that you thought they would. And so you're trying to take things into your own hands, which is exactly what Abraham and Sarah did. For a time, but God still honored their faith. And even when we have lapses, moments, days, years where we're not trusting God, it's never too late to turn away from that and begin to trust Him again. And God will honor that as He does in the life of Abraham and Sarah. But when God gave them this promise, it was like 25 years went by before this promise was fulfilled. It says that by faith, Sarah herself conceived 
strength, received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. I love that. Him as good as dead. So you got a couple of dried up prunes here <laughs> producing a child. I mean, this is, this is a miracle. This was before any, you know, enhancement drugs or anything like that. The, him as good as dead. And through him, a multitude, a nation of people was born. The people of faith, really. We read about in Galatians. Every one of you are a descendant of Abraham, according to Galatians, because we are people that have placed our faith in Jesus, which is what Abraham did on the other side of the cross. Not knowing all the details, it was a mystery, but he placed his faith in the Lord. And what does the Bible say? That God saw Abraham's good works and he declared him righteous? Is that what it says? That God saw Abraham was just a really cool guy and did what he told him to, and so he declared him righteous. No, Genesis 15, 16 says, Abraham believed God, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And so this whole idea that like in the Old Testament, people were saved by works, and now we're saved by grace, God found out that didn't work so well, so he changed his, his M.O. Is God somehow like a schizophrenic that on a bad day he looks like, you know, the God that's flooding the earth, and on a good day he looks like Jesus? No. That is really, really terrible theology. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The people in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward to the cross, by placing their faith in the revealed word of God, just like we do, except we look backward to the cross. Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him as righteousness. And you could put your name in there. Ryan believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's how we're saved, you guys. Believing the word of God. But it took patience for them to do that. It didn't happen overnight. And they had lapses of faith. And they had struggles. And they had difficulties. And maybe right now you're in the midst of that 25 years. Like Abraham and Sarah. Where you, you, you read of the promises of God. You, you know that God has given you his word. But you don't see it coming to pass. And God just tells you, dwell as Abraham did. Dwell in that place. Make your home in that place. Be content in that place that God has you. Be patient. The life of faith is patient. And the last thing I want to look at is that the life of faith is sacrificial. It says that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, verse 17. And he who had received the promises 
offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up. Even from the dead. From which he also received him in a figurative sense. So 25 years goes by. They, they take things into their own hands. Ishmael is born. That's a fiasco. They send Hagar out with a sandwich and a bottle of water. And finally, God brings his promise to pass with Isaac. And now 30 years goes by. Isaac is an adult man. He's 30 years old, just a little bit younger than me. And God says to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Now, if my dad called me today and said that that's what he wanted to do, I don't think I'm going to be into that. You know, again, we have to put ourselves into the, the history and into the story and understand a little bit of the context. We always picture, and you know, in Sunday school, Isaac's always like, you know, my son's age. He's like three. Come on, Carson, let's go to the mountain, you know. Oh, he's 30. He's a full-grown man. He could beat his dad to a pulp if he wanted to. And if I was Abraham, I would be thinking to myself, look, Lord, this is getting really, really weird. Okay? It took you 25 years to come through on the promise. Now you wait 30 more years. You told me we're going to have a nation here. And now you want me to sacrifice my son, the son of promise. This just doesn't make sense, Lord. Does God's revelation to us always make sense? A lot of times it doesn't because it flies in the face of man's wisdom. The wisdom of God is foolishness to man. And so the things that God asks you and I to do so often seem really, really foolish. But God isn't asking for our opinion. He's all-knowing. It's just like you with your kids. Sometimes you ask your kids to do stuff that in their mind seems really foolish. They don't understand why they can't wear the new clothes out to play in the mud. I mean, come on, they're just clothes. But they don't understand the concept of money. They don't understand all of the ramifications behind why you don't want them to wear those clothes. All they're thinking about is the immediacy of the moment. They don't see the big picture. And it's the same with God. God says things to us that don't make sense because all we see is this. We just, we're myopic. We only can see what's happening right now. And God sees everything as if, as if it's happening at one time. I want to tap into that kind of perspective. I, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to miss out on that because I'm too busy explaining to God why I ought to be able to play in my new clothes out in the mud. And often, you guys, to obey and to obey patiently, 
involves sacrifice. And as Abraham is taking his son up Mount Moriah, and he's got the knife, and he's got the wood, and even at one point, Isaac kind of clues into this. Like, okay, I see the instrument for death here. I see the wood for a sacrifice, because that's what he assumed they were going to do. But where's the lamb? But do you remember what Abraham said to Eleazar, his servant, and to the others at the bottom of the mountain? Wait here for us. Me and the lad will return. We will return. He trusted God. It says here that he concluded, I love that, he concluded that God was able to raise him from the dead. Did Abraham have any reason, any precedent for believing in the resurrection? There had never been a person that had been raised from the dead, at least scripturally, up until this time. Ever. But Abraham trusted in the word of God. He trusted in God's revelation to him. Concluded that God would raise him from the dead. Hey Lord, whatever's going to happen, I just believe that you're going to take care of it. You know what you're doing. An amazing story. And we know the rest. He laid his son on the altar, and then there was a ram caught in the thicket that was the substitute for Isaac. You guys, God is calling us to a life of sacrifice. David said, I won't give anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. The, the essence of the gospel, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. It's the essence, it's at the heart of the gospel that Jesus was crucified for you and now he says to you and to I who want to follow him that you've got to die. That your agenda, your goals, your plans, they've got to die. Your preconceived ideas, they've got to die. Take up your cross and follow me. It's a daily thing, by the way. Paul put it like this in Romans 12.1, I beg you. Not, hey, um, Romans, just a suggestion, just a thought, you know, put it in the back of your mind. I beg beg you, I plead with you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God's not interested in dead sacrifices. He wants you and I to be alive, to be breathing, to be usable, but he wants us to be dead to ourselves. He wants the flesh to get out of the way. And he wants our life to be completely and totally given over to him. That's what it means to be a Christian, by the way. And we look at these characteristics. 
We look at these characteristics and we even see that Abraham failed in these. And I look at these and I see that I fall short in each one. The life of faith is obedient. I don't always obey. There's thousands of commandments in the Bible. Thousands of things that God says, this is what I want you to do or don't do. And I fall short of these things. And I know you do as well. But you know what Jesus said at the end of his life? Everything that the Father has given me to do, I have obeyed. And so if you look at your life and you say, man, Lord, I have blown it. I am not obedient. Remember Jesus. Remember the gospel. That Jesus obeyed every command of the Father. Did he always want to? You remember in the garden? Father, if there's any other way that your plan can be fulfilled, let's do that. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was obedient. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. He learned obedience. God in human flesh had to learn obedience. It's amazing. It's something that you and I need to continue to learn. And we'll fail. But remember Jesus, who was tempted in all ways that we are, yet without sin. And so we go to Him. We cling to Him. We run to Him as the fulfillment of this life of faith that's characterized by obedience. How about patience? Some of you probably lost your patience this morning. We're not patient people by nature. The life of faith is patient. Maybe you've been complaining about your circumstances and your situation. And you want to quit. You want to give up. You're tired of dwelling in that place. You're tired of waiting like Abraham had to. Or maybe you just quit altogether. Maybe you've given up. Maybe you took things into your own hands like Abraham did. And know this. That Jesus covers that. He fulfills that. Jesus was patient. Jesus waited for God's plan to unfold. He was submitted to the Father and He fulfilled it perfectly. He never gave up. He never quit. He never allowed Himself to be veered from the mission in which He was on. Remember how many times he would remind people, even his parents? Yeah, I didn't come to do that. Uh, it's, not, it's not the time of the Father yet. Jesus was on a mission. He was focused and he waited for the time and the plan of God to unfold. And so when you don't do that, when I don't do that, we have Jesus that we run to, that we allow to pick us up and to hold us and to place us back on the right track. 
The third thing we talked about is the life of faith is sacrificial. This whole story about Isaac, the son of promise, the only begotten son, which wasn't true in the literal sense of it, but it is true in the typological sense that this was pointing to Jesus who would walk that same mountain, Mount Moriah, 2,000 years later. Except this time there wouldn't be a ram caught in the thicket. This time he was the sacrificial lamb that John the Baptist talked about. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I look at my life and I say, Lord, often I don't sacrifice for you. Lord, often the things that you're calling me to to lay at your feet, namely my life, I don't do it. Lord, I fall short. I'm not a living sacrifice so often. And we come back to Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus perfectly fulfills all of the characteristics of faith. He says, look, here's my example. Follow me. Cling to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We're called to live a life of faith, you guys. And when we fail, Jesus is there to forgive us, to love us, and to put us on the right track again. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I pray that these truths would just be rooted in our life. That, Lord, we would not be hearers of your word only, but doers of your word this morning. Thank you for each one that's here, God. Continue to to make your word come alive to us. God, continue to, to bring your word to our remembrance as we go about our day and our week. Lord, bless each one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.